So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to spend uh, the next 20 minutes or so in the first four chapters of Genesis. Bible or phone. Some of this stuff will be up on the screen, not all of it, because we're going to move pretty quickly. But, but before we dive in, I'm going to read for you a poem. Uh, this is not going to be on the screen, so if you feel compelled to close your eyes and listen, or however, whatever helps you to listen, um, you can do that. I am on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing is ever quite right. I am always restless, easily frustrated, and often disappointed. Life is a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. Life is a desert. I am thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck, and nothing I do can fix it. I stumble down a dark and lonely path. Still, I insist on doing what I want, when I want, how I want. I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, the shadows of death. I fear death. It is waiting for me at the end of every road. I spend my life protecting myself. I find no lasting comfort. I am facing this life alone. Are my friends really my friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't trust anyone. No one has my back. No one cares for me. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never full. I am constantly left empty. Disappointment and isolation follow me all the days of my life. Will I be alone forever, wandering, free-falling into the abyss? It is hell to be with others. It is hell to be with myself. Life is a living death, and then I die. How are we doing? <laughs> a little bit of a different tone uh, than, than usual. Um, did anyone, like, somewhat recognize that at all? No? Okay. That's okay. This is a poem. It was written by author and counselor David Paulison, who passed away about five years ago. He calls it the anti-psalm, and he wrote it as the antithesis to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I share this with you because I think it perfectly captures what happens when community goes wrong. We have spent the last two gatherings discussing Jesus' vision for community. And up to this point, our conversations have been fairly idealistic. This is how community should look when things go right. But the reality is things don't often go right. Community often doesn't work out the way it should. We have all experienced the loss of community. We have all experienced broken relationships. We have all experienced isolation and loneliness. For some of us, the anti-psalm sounds all too familiar. And if this is you, you are not alone. In fact, this is one of the most universal human experiences since the beginning. We see it on the first pages of the Bible. As the story of Scripture begins to unfold, the central problem that arises is fractured community. 
So think back for a moment to elementary literature class. In elementary literature class, we learn that every good story has a conflict. This is a problem that the main character or characters must overcome. In Romeo and Juliet, the two lovers must overcome the animosity and hatred between their families so that they could be together. In Lord of the Rings, the main characters must overcome the dark forces of Lord Sauron to restore Middle-earth. In Remember the Titans, a a recently integrated high school football team must overcome racism in the town and on the team in order to unite the community and win the state championship. Every good story has a conflict. And in the Bible, we see that God and his image bearers must overcome the downward spiral of broken relationships and fractured community in order to bring about the good and beautiful world that God set out to create. This is the central conflict in the biblical story, fractured community. And at the core of this conflict is this problem called sin. Now, we often think of sin as a singular act of disobedience to God, but the Bible presents sin as something much bigger than that. It's much bigger than an isolated action. Sin encompasses everything that is wrong with the world. It refers to the reality that things are not the way they should be. It is just as much a condition as it is an action. And the word sin literally means to miss the mark. Therefore, anything that falls short of God's ideal for the world or for humanity is included in this word sin. And according to the first pages of the Bible, the main, and this is the main point of, of our talk today, it'll be up on the screen. According to the first few pages of the Bible, the primary effect of sin is the fracturing of community. The fracturing of community. Sin is not an individual problem as we often think. Sin is a communal problem. Sin separates us from community. This is true of sin, any size, shape, or form. If it is not brought to light and addressed, it will inevitably cause the destruction of relationships and the fracturing of community. So on page one of your Bible... We're going to look at how sin is presented in this way, how sin is presented as the fracturing of community. So in Genesis chapter 2, that's where we're going to start. Now, what's often identified as the the original act of sin doesn't come till chapter 3, but in Genesis 2, God identifies a problem that sets the tone for the rest of the story. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says... Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. So before anything goes wrong, God acknowledges that something is missing. Something is not quite right in his creation. The man seemingly has everything. He has the best food in the world, all he can eat. He has unhindered access to God. He has protection and intimacy and purpose. Yet God says something is missing that is essential. The man is alone. He needs relationship. He needs community. He needs someone to share his life with. So what does God do? He sends a partner 
Someone who is in some ways the same and in some ways different, but in every way is essential to fulfilling the human role on earth. And God says in verse 24 of chapter 2 that these two will become inseparably one. Distinct persons, but fully united in identity, purpose, and love. If you recall from two weeks ago, our last gathering, uh, we, this is exactly how we described the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. The human community was created to reflect the divine community. And just as community is essential to God being God, community is essential to humans being human. It's the most important thing, and and without it, we cannot be who we're created to be. So the establishment of the human community is a climatic moment in the creation story, and it is only after this piece is in place that God steps back and says, it is very good, right? It's very good. So because, because community takes such a pivotal role in God's creation, it becomes the primary point of conflict. This is the place where the battle between good and evil is waged. And the story of the Bible reveals to us that if community is destroyed, everything else unravels. It all stands on, on God's ideal for community. So Genesis 3, we're going to jump ahead to the next chapter. In Genesis 3, God places the humans in a garden. And in this garden, God and his image bearers are together in community. Everything is right. And as the story goes, there is one rule for these humans to follow. Okay, one rule. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, this rule seems arbitrary, right? But it represents an undisputable ingredient to healthy community. So regardless of what you think about God's one rule, okay, it represents something that none of us would deny. Every community requires trust. You can't have authentic relationships without trust. So God asked Adam and Eve to trust him, that he is good, that he is honest, that he actually wants what's best for them. So this brings up, I think, uh, an age-old question. When did sin enter the garden? When did things begin to go wrong? Was it when Adam and Eve reached out and took the fruit from the tree? That certainly was a turning point in the story, but but it had to have been preceded by other things. When did Adam and Eve stop trusting God? When did they begin doubting his goodness? When did they begin hiding their inner thoughts and feelings from their creator? In other words, the underlying problem was not that singular act of disobedience, but small fractures began to appear in their community with God. So following this story, things begin to spiral quickly. Adam and Eve hide their nakedness from God and from one another. They begin to feel shame. They blame one another and they blame God. What was once a unified, beautiful community between God and man becomes a web of fear and conflict. And ultimately, God must send the humans out of the garden, separating them from intimacy and community with their creator. And from this point on, the fracturing of community escalates rapidly. Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve have two sons named Cain and Abel. 
The brothers each bring an offering in order to worship God, and God shows favor to the younger brother, Abel. This makes the older brother, Cain, angry. So God comes to Cain in um, verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In other words, God is saying to Cain, do not escalate the spiral. Do not continue in the way of your parents. Well, what does Cain do with his anger? He goes to his brother, and you may know the story. He, 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 um, he kills him. He meets him in a field, and he kills Abel. Notice that Cain didn't go to his brother before this and express his feelings of anger. Notice that he didn't go to God. God had to come to him. Before he killed Cain in that field, he had allowed his anger to isolate him from community. And sin, as it does, festers and grows in isolation. So Cain kills his brother Abel, and what was doubt and distrust and, and shame and anger now includes murder. The spiral of sin continues to fracture and destroy community. And Cain moves further away from the garden. So we see in, in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, that Cain builds a city. Okay? Now, don't think of city like, like a city across the river here. Uh, a city in the Bible is, is simply a, a walled-in area in which people live. So think fortress. Okay? A city was for one thing at this time, and that is protection, Cain has allowed a lack of trust and fear of retaliation to cause him to put up walls and further isolate him from his family and the world around him. Well, in Genesis 4.19, we're introduced to a descendant of Cain named Lamech. Lamech. We see with Lamech that this problem has grown exponentially. Lamech he doesn't unite with one wife. He collects wives like trophies. He doesn't wrestle with his anger with his brother, but he just kills whoever wrongs him or gets in his way. And in verse 23 of chapter 4, Lamech boasts about his reputation for violence and retaliation. It says, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, these, these are Hebrew terms for ornament and protection. Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. The cycle continues. We are four chapters in, and humans have gone from unhindered intimacy and community to exponential conflict, violence, and isolation. And if we had time, we could just go on and on and on. Throughout history, conflicts between brothers become rivalries between families. Rivalries between families become wars between nations. Erwin Ince, the author of The Beautiful Community, writes, We were made to image God as beautiful community, but sin ruptured our communion and polarization has been our story ever since. 
the fragmentation of community is not God's story, but it does tell humanity's story. Ethnic polarization, gender polarization, generational polarization, socioeconomic polarization, political polarization, national polarization. For every category of human community, we are able to call out a particular polarization. It all began in the garden with the fracturing of intimacy with Adam and Eve. Sin is not an individual problem. It's a communal problem. The primary effect of sin is the fracturing of community. Community with one another and community with God. So how do we respond to this as a faith community? I want you to notice the trends in the stories we read. Because the problem never began with this pivotal act of sin. The fracturing didn't start when Adam and Eve ate the fruit or when Cain murdered Abel. These things were preceded by these internal battles that were not brought to light, battles we all face. Adam and Eve hid their doubts and fears before they hid their nakedness. Cain hid his anger and jealousy before he fled his family. The reason sin is so destructive to community is because it causes us to hide from one another. It causes us to keep our distance. I can't let you get too close. It causes us to put up boundaries. I'll share this with you, but I'm not going to share that with you. It causes us to flee intimacy because we fear rejection. And ultimately, we settle for isolation. People may know me, but no one really knows me. They don't know my inner thoughts. They don't know my deepest struggles. Because if they did, they'd leave. That's what we think. So we try to deal with our problems alone. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his popular book, Life Together, writes, He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. It may be that Christians, even in the midst of corporate worship, common prayer, and fellowship, are still left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and devout people, they do not have fellowship as sinners. The pious fellowship, and that's not a a compliment, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal their sin from themselves and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners, so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. Because sin is not an individual problem, it cannot be dealt with individually. It only grows in isolation. Sin is a communal problem. Therefore, it must be dealt with in community. When we share in community what we are most afraid to share, our innermost thoughts and our deepest struggles, yes, we open ourselves up to rejection and people pushing us away or thinking certain things about us, but we also open ourselves up to unconditional love and acceptance. And it is only when we are fully known and fully loved that sin loses its power and healing can take place. That can never happen in isolation. 
When sin is hidden, it festers and inevitably destroys community. But when sin is brought to light, it strengthens and unites community. So as the uh, worship team makes their way up here, I want you to just think about these questions. What is it that causes you to hide part of yourself? What is it that you hold back because of fear and shame? Whatever that is for you will either keep you from community or be your door to true community. But you have to bring it to light. You have to bring it out into the open. You can't hold it in and deal with it on your own. Sin is a communal problem, and it must be dealt with in community, in relationship. So as we enter into this time of worship, uh, I'm going to pray for you guys. I know it's a little bit heavier, so take the time you need to process and think. But whatever that is, if it's something you haven't shared with someone, we're not going to share it right now, but it needs to be shared. Whatever you're dealing with in your, your innermost self, whatever you're afraid to, to have out there into the world, that's the exact thing that's keeping you from experiencing the community that Jesus has for you. So let's pray. Father, I pray over every person in this room that you would break the chains that hold us in isolation, that you tear down the walls that keep us from a relationship with one another, that we'd no longer be ashamed and hide, but that we would bring out just the deepest parts of ourselves into the open, that we'd find people within this community that we could share every bit of ourselves with, that we can feel the, the power of, of being fully known and fully loved. And we know, God, that you fully know us, that you know everything about us and that you love us, but uh, there is something powerful about when your children show that kind of love to one another. So I pray for us this week that we would continue to grow as a community of intimacy and authenticity and honesty. In Jesus' name, amen. I always feel like this is confession time because I always come up here and share failures. Um, when Charlie asked me to speak, I just kept hearing the Lord talk about, because I was hearing myself say it to different friends about how God was continuing to surprise me or that, y'all can sit, uh, or that I was like, um, I'm, I'm always really surprised when things we learn about at Commonwealth work. I mean, like, I, I and that's, I'm just, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, I say that all the time. I'm like, it just really surprises me. Um, and so, um, but to follow up yeah, one line that we just sang about, let us become more aware of your presence. Um, I've been following a sermon series on Haggai, which never done before. Um, but there's a section in chapter, well, the, the book, but by the time you get to chapter two, where 
the people are questioning the rebuilding of the temple. They're not really pleased with how it's going compared to its former glory. And uh, God responds, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And in my confessional, my current spiritual state is that I, I really tend to focus on my failures, uh, my missteps, um, what I am not, um, what I am, but only the, the negative side of things. Um, and then I always find myself really surprised when God shows up or when God uses me um, and I'm just kind of starting to really beginning to see this as a trend uh, because I know myself and I know my heart. And I know how hardened I am and I know how resistant I am and I know um, how maxed out I feel. And so when people speak into that or I see something come about from the Lord, I, it just, I'm always surprised by it. And so, uh, but what I'm realizing is that it's when I'm paying attention that I, I see those things. And um, the book club that we're a part of, we went through a book um, called Opening to God by David Benner. And in that, he says, our spiritual life will be no deeper than our capacity to pay attention. And um, just briefly thinking back through some key times where I've started to pay attention was 2020 when there were less distractions um, honestly, with Commonwealth's teaching of like, it was at least telling me I should start paying attention. I didn't want to start paying attention, but I could no longer claim ignorance. Uh, at that point, it was a choice to live in rebellion. Um, but also the community that I've gained, um, particularly through Commonwealth of women that um, hold me accountable and also who speak into my life to show me things that I'm not seeing because, again, I'm only seeing where I'm going wrong. Um, but that has come to tie into Charlie's message with a willingness to be transparent and to be able to let them know what is really happening and what I am seeing. And then they can encourage me in that. They can also speak truth if maybe I'm not um, seeing things through a biblical lens. And they help me, they can help me see things through his eyes and also through others' eyes, which we sometimes, we need to see ourselves through others' eyes. And then the, the other thing, the other moment that really was kind of an aha moment to me from this book, and again, that I was like, this is not going to work. And then I was like, oh my goodness, it actually works. Um, he talks about um, an examination of consciousness, which is not his thing, but um Within it, I just want to read you a part of it, but it says that the idea is that at the end of the day, or in this instance, at the end of the day, you kind of look back on your day to see where did you miss God? What opportunities did you miss? And for me, really, the aha moment was actually to see where God was that I didn't even notice because I really thought, you know, I'm at Commonwealth on Sunday, or I'm at church, or I'm at the book club, and that's really about it. But like to go back and be like, you know, I didn't lose it with my kids, and that's not like me at all, you know, or, uh, you know, to, to just see where he had been there and influencing. But just to give you an idea, um, he does say that that in those times of examination that he does 
see and he repents of the large blocks of the day which he was unaware of God's presence but he also says there were also times of joy as I see the moments where I allowed myself to be open to and aligned with God's action in me and in the world and again it's like a moment of surprise where you didn't you didn't see it but by paying attention you do and so just in this time, I think, and this is what prayer is, but just taking a moment to examine what would allow you to be more aware. Um, is it opening up to someone or to a group of actually maybe you're opening up, but you're not really truly being vulnerable and honest? Um, is it just taking the time to have that time with the Lord to look and have Him show you what maybe you don't want to see or maybe you don't know that you need to see? So I'll just want to end with this quote uh, from David Benner in this book. And he says, Paying attention to anything has the potential to open us to God who is present in all life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this, this space and these people who have so made an indelible mark on my life and my family's life and for which I am so grateful and I thank you these messages were hard tonight they're not comfortable topics necessarily that Aaron brought or that Charlie brought but we need to hear them and we need to be called into action to think about what we are doing as stewards of all that you have given us financially and otherwise and that we are called to think about not only how our lives impact us and not just the people within our four walls, but also the wider community. Thank you for truth. I want truth. I want to be able to have something to chew on and that stretches me and that doesn't just allow me to continue in the way that I think is best. But I, I thank you for a place that isn't afraid of truth. And I thank you for these people in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.